Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is my May the 15th, uh, a Monday, 2023. And uh, it's mid-morning in San Francisco. Already this morning, we did a show with a law professor, Stephen Vladek. He has a new book out, The Shadow Docket, which is another of these kinds of books about how the Supreme Court is undermining the American Republic. Very dramatic and controversial and indeed interesting. And Vladek made a good case. And in our conversation, I suggested that given the centrality of the Supreme Court in the American Constitution, the founding fathers would be turning in their graves if they knew what the current Supreme Court would be up to, which, of course, uh, speaks to our or your founding fathers. I'm sort of American. Most of our audience is American. And the question which we are dealing with today's show is who those founding fathers exactly are. We take it for granted that the Benjamin Franklins and the George Washingtons and the Thomas Jeffersons and the... John Adams of the world, they are the, uh, the conventional founding fathers. Uh, they authored, of course, the Declaration, or some of them authored the Declaration of Independence, the so-called Committee of Five that included Franklin and Jefferson and Adams. These were the guys who wrote uh, the United States Declaration of Independence and therefore can claim to be quite literally the founding fathers of this country and of the document that shaped this country. But my guest today has another way of thinking about it. Who's your founding father, asks my guest, David Fleming. Uh, he's written a new book. It's out this week. One man's epic quest to uncover the first true declaration of independence. Dave is joining us from Davidson, North Carolina. Uh, Dave, welcome. Uh, congratulations on the new book. So you've turned everything up, upside down. We've always taken for granted our founding fathers, or at least your founding fathers. Um, but your book suggests that we may have got it all wrong, Dave. Yeah, that would that would have been a better maybe subtitle for the book, that um, everything you think you know about America's founding and the Declaration of Independence and Thomas Jefferson in particular, yeah, you, you've got it wrong. It, it, it didn't happen that way at all. Oh, my God, Dave. I, if I wasn't sitting, I would have to sit. This is dramatic. Um, are you the first person to realize this? I mean, tell us the story of, of why, in your mind, Jefferson might, I don't know whether we'd call him um, a fraud, but as Andrew Roberts said in writing about your book, uh, you exposed Jefferson as a plagiarist, someone who, so to speak, borrowed his words from somebody else. Yeah, I think it's interesting, right, that you were talking to someone earlier on your show about um, being able to define um, uh, assholes. And um, here we are now talking about Thomas Jefferson, um, who I think probably fits that definition. Um, of an asshole? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I think that is, uh, <laughs> I think one of the things that was hardest for me to deal with was just how much... I didn't know about what a uh, 
about about what Thomas Jefferson was actually like. I kind of want to go find my middle school history teacher and ask her why she didn't tell me all these terrible things about Thomas Jefferson. I mean, Jefferson has had a a checkered press recently, particularly given his hypocrisy over slavery and his relationship with one of his slave women. Uh, But you're exposing something equally troubling and uh, certainly more relevant in terms of the way in which Americans think about their own history. Talk us through this uh, plagiarism that you suspect that drives the narrative of of your new book, Who's Your Founding Father? Yeah, the, the, the men who founded Charlotte, which was on the, the, the frontier of the American frontier in 1775, um, it was actually a group of several Princeton graduates and scholars. They declared, formally declared independence in writing on May 20th, 1775. And this is known as the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence, uh, a shortened to Mech Dec. Correct. Correct. And uh, they then they dispatched a writer who is known as Captain James Jack, who then delivered the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence to Philadelphia. And a year later, coincidentally, um, you know, nothing was done of that. The, the country wasn't ready yet. There was still the olive branch that they were trying to discuss with King uh, with, with the king. Um, but mysteriously, Have you already forgotten the name of that King Day. <laughs> KG three is how I refer to him in the book, of course. Another asshole, I guess. <laughs> yes, it's it is a uh, confederacy of, of assholes. Correct? That's the subject of your. That's the title of your new book: a confederacy of assholes. Yes, yes. But uh, mysteriously, when Thomas Jefferson sat down, well, really. Um, you know, there, there was the committee of five and it was only later when it, when the declaration became famous is when Thomas Jefferson claimed full credit for creating writing and probably printing the entire declaration. Is that a story of Jefferson's life? Is that what makes him such an asshole? Is he claimed full? Absolutely. Full credit for everything he ever did, even though it was usually, uh, borrowed or taken or stolen from someone else. Absolutely. And that is why, yes. And his, that's why his contemporaries despised him so much because especially John Adams, you know, it was like, Hey, we all worked on this. We edited it. We edited your draft. We made all these changes. And then when it becomes famous, that's when you claim sole credit for it. Remember at the time, the declaration of independence was, it was, it was paperwork. It was a cut and paste job because we were essentially already at war and we hadn't filed the paperwork that we had declared independence. So at the time, it was just supposed to be a quick sort of like formal declaration of independence. And Jefferson was supposed to synthesize all the sentiment that was already out there. The problem is, here's the asshole effect, right? Instead of just admitting that and saying that he borrowed from here and borrowed from here and took from the mech deck and took from George Mason, he claimed that he had uh, uh, thought up the whole thing and that he, you know, he didn't borrow from anywhere. And, and, and that's, that has come back to burn him. It's interesting. It's come back, as you say, to burn him. But the, the issue of plagiarism is one that continually is controversial. Uh, one of my great heroes, Bob Dylan, is perhaps the greatest plagiarist. He sometimes acknowledges it. 
Dave, your 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 day job is as um, a, a journalist. You're a senior writer at ESPN. You know that all writers borrow from others. Did Jefferson, so to speak, do more than borrow? Absolutely. You 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 get the you get the picture that when he sat down to to uh, cut and paste the Declaration of Independence, um, that very same week, George Mason's line life liberty and pursuit of happiness was published in newspapers in philadelphia and then it just so happens to find its way into jefferson's declaration without any attribution and again if he had just said i did what they asked me to do which was cut and paste and get all these uh, sentiments together no one would 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 think anything of it it was the fact that later he claimed right that um i didn't borrow from anywhere um, no one would have blamed him. It's the fact that he just refused to give anyone else credit. Had uh, America declared independence two or three hundred years later, they probably could have taken the words from Chat GPT, the new AI that's now as controversial as Jefferson was in his age. But in all seriousness, uh, Dave, in defense of Jefferson, I mean, I'm sure he has his defenders. Nobody knew the significance of this document, did they? I mean, it wasn't as if everyone thought, "Oh, well, in 250 years, they're going to David Fleming's going to write a book about who's your founding father." Everything was happening spontaneously and haphazardly. It was a time of enormously dramatic change. No one could see the next day, let alone the next week, month, or year. That's a really good point, and that no one, no one, bef- the. The, the democracy was still an experiment, right? For for uh, thirty more years, and it really wasn't until 1815, 1820, where America collectively could take could exhale and then begin to think about what they accomplished in declaring independence through the Revolutionary War, and that's really when Jefferson became famous for writing the Declaration of Independence. It, it, it took a long time for people to, to actually acknowledge the significance of this document. Nobody was talking about it at all. They were too busy trying to survive as a young democracy. As types of people, as you say, John Adams loathed Jefferson. But wasn't Adams himself somewhat of a, of a priggish New Englander? And, and, and in, in, all, in all fairness about Jefferson, he was a romantic figure, maybe prone to borrow other people's language and steal from other people, uh, obviously thought very highly of himself. But in in many ways, he was a better model for her- an heroic American than John Adams, who was just a, an annoying New Englander. I mean, you're from the South. I'm sure you've, you, uh, you're not too keen on, on the North. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I was born and raised in Detroit, so um, I've I've been in both worlds. And I mean, if we have to choose between the the ideal type of John Adams versus the ideal type of J- Thomas Jefferson in terms of embracing a founding father, who who who, who smells better, Adams or Jefferson? Again, you're right. You're 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 100 right, and that's part of the problem. Thomas Jefferson is the perfect typecast for founding father, right? And almost so much that we don't want to look beneath the surface. You know, he just seems like the the the, the perfect thing. And it's interesting who we choose to to turn into icons and and what we choose to remember. And even when there is proof 
to the contrary, our brains just say, nope, no, thank you. I've already decided that Thomas Jefferson is my ideal founding father, and I don't want to learn anything else about him. Um, so you're right. And I think John Adams knew that too. I think that was John the Adams. Is not, envy, yeah. yeah, he, and there's you, it, it just, it just leaks off the pages of his letters to Jefferson when he thinks he's caught him plagiarizing the mech deck, you know, 30, 40 years later, he is just giddy with excitement that the fact that he's finally thinks he's exposed Jefferson for being a phony. Tell us more about the book, Dave. Uh, as I said, you're the, senior writer at ESPN. You know, you've written on, on many different subjects, including Steph Curry, who grew up near where you live now. Now you're writing a, a neuroscience piece uh, about the, the violence behind sports rights. So you're not a, a full-time American historian. And this is not dry history, is it? I mean, it's, it's, it's creative nonfiction. It's a, I won't say it's an entirely fun book, but it's, it's partly a, a fun quest to make sense of early American history. Yeah, that's that's really well put. And it's I, I didn't want to write a dry history book and I didn't want to read one either. So um, I was obsessed with this story. I couldn't believe that no one else. Those are the best ideas when you can't believe no one else has already written this book. And it was an editor just three or four years ago who suggested you should write it as your own adventure, trying to discover this crazy story going down this rabbit hole. And that's when the light bulb went off for me. And I was like, I can do that. I can definitely do that. It's that is my niche at ESPN, finding these obscure stories. And that's the way I approached this one. And it ended up at every turn when I needed someone to be a character, when I needed something to go crazy or sideways um, at every twist and turn of this story, uh, it got more and more entertaining. So I was really lucky on, on that behalf. And it, it wasn't just me standing in cemeteries and archives and old churches. <laughs> so did you dig anything up that's newsworthy that will surprise historians? Real, uh, I wouldn't say real historians, but uh, who, whose day job is, is a, as a historian. What, what did you find in this quest um, that, that could make some news? Well, Nothing really other than the fact that Charlotte is actually the true cradle of American independence. Um, and, and that Captain James Jack um, is known as the South's Paul Revere, but he actually rode 537 miles farther than Paul Revere and never, never got caught. Um, so nothing much more than just everything we think we know about uh, the declaration is, but, but are you, I mean, is it historical, historically now acknowledged, if we got 10 historians in a room who specialize in this period, would they all acknowledge that, that the Declaration of Independence was indeed mostly plagiarized from the Met Day? No, and I think that's, that is, again, they are sort of set in their ways and have decided uh, for whatever reason to to sort of hide Jefferson's flaws. And so that was part of the reason. And when I actually, when I set off and there were people in publishing who were like, you can't write this book. You're a sports guy. You're not a historian. And I just said, well, the historians have screw screwed up this story. So the, so far, I mean, how could I do any worse? And yeah, it's up for debate. And that's kind of what's great about this. And that controversy is what's kept this story alive 
when it probably would have died out years ago or decades ago. Um, nobody knows for sure. And the only wrong reason, the only wrong answer is to sort of not listen and, and decide for yourself. Yeah, and coming back to the Supreme Court and the conservatives now who control it, I'm sure some of them won't be thrilled with your book because they're the ones who fetishize these documents and obsess over the Constitution. But what you're suggesting is that everything is stolen from something else. And probably even if we looked at it more carefully, someone will come along and write a book about the Met deck and find that that itself was stolen from someone else. Everyone stands on the shoulders of previous generations, don't they, uh, Dave? Yeah, and 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 I think every author. I for sure there have been other books written about the Mech Deck um, that I used in my research, especially with Thomas Jefferson and the Declaration, all that stuff. It's it is uh, we're all sort of uh, standing other other shoulders. So you're you're absolutely correct. But I found that this is a you know it's not. It's this is one of the very few things where you can be politically agnostic and just talk about the actual the the actual founding documents and the actual concept of patriotism before we all sort of separated into our uh, different sides. Um, there have been people that I had to talk to and research and needed their help who Politically, very different, but but we could come together to discuss the mech deck um, and its role in American independence. And that was kind of refreshing. What did the, the quest, the process of writing, all the travel you did, all the cups of coffee you drank at, uh, uh, on the road, um, what did it tell you about the value of these um, of, of these documents, of the founding documents, are they meaningful? I mean, if we accept that they're borrowed probably from previous ones, but nonetheless, it's a real document with real words. Did it make you more or less serious about the Declaration of Independence, which is symbolically, at least, the foundation, the constitutional foundation of this country? Yeah, I was more interested in the the men and the sort of perfect storm and what was going on at the time that made independence really, they had no other choice, right? And I was especially fascinated by the, the role of the Scots-Irish Presbyterians and the way that religion, religious doctrine and being on the frontier and really having crossed, having been kicked out of two countries, crossed an ocean and then come all the way down to the Carolina frontier to right. get away. Very different from Jefferson in his palace in Virginia. Exactly. And these, I, I, it was fascinating to me that the, the way things unfolded, it was the Scots Irish in Carolina who recognized what was going on with the crown and knew it was not getting better a year, 14 months before anybody else in America, because they had been exposed to it for generations. So the idea of like, we're not taking this crap anymore. Let's declare independence right now. Um, that was almost boiled into their DNA going back for centuries. Yeah, it's not surprising that your book's going to sell. One thing for sure is your book's going to sell well in North Carolina on uh, May 20th, uh, later this week. 
you've got an event, uh, a lot of drinking, a lot of celebration. But in all seriousness, Dave, I wonder whether this also changes, if it's true, would it change the the geographical axis of the American Republic, shift it further south? What, what was happening in North Carolina at the time? Of course, the thing that comes to my mind is slavery. Was this the, the dominant institution and the center of, of the North Carolinan economy back then, or was it a different kind of economy? It was still a, a, a different kind of economy. Most of the men who created and signed the MEC deck were slave owners. So it definitely existed in this part of Carolina. Um, but it had, it was not, um, it was not predominant at, at the time, but it would, it would be. Um, I, I think the other thing that this exposes that we never talk about. And again, this goes back to your, one of your original points about, who we choose to remember as our founding fathers and, and what we choose to remember and, and, and believe in with these kind of sacred docu documents. Um, you know, it's the South's role in the Southern theater of the Revolutionary War was critical. And nobody ever mentions that. You know, everybody talks about why Cornwallis ends up in Yorktown and has to surrender Nobody ever mentions the reason he was in Yorktown is because he eventually got his butt kicked all the way through South Carolina, North Carolina, Charlotte, where the MECTEC was created, and had to sort of go to the coast to recover and recuperate. But there is something about the dynamic of America where the people don't want to give the South credit for this original patriotism and for the sacrifices made during the Revolutionary War. But is that for class reasons where the, the Adamses and the, the Jeffersons of the world, did they look down on those Scots-Irish or, 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 or might it be bound up in broader issues that, like, as they suggested earlier, the issue of slavery, although, of course, Jefferson himself was a slave owner, too? It was about credit. It was about, it was about once everybody exhaled and said, oh my gosh, this democracy is working. Look what we've created. All of a sudden, most of the elite class in Virginia spoke up and said, we did it all. And that's really what started this whole controversy. It was the people in Virginia, the Jeffersonians, and all those people who were related to Jefferson. It, it was a land grab for, for credit for the success of the American Revolution when other people just said, said hey, wait a second, wait a second. We were involved too, um, and that's where the, the the fight became. It's it was it's incredible if you read the stuff um, in in eighteen nineteen eighteen fifteen about Virginia trying to claim that um, because they were such an elite society, they were the ones who fought up the revolution, made all the sacrifices, paid for everything, and organized it. Um, so it was it was. It wasn't just Thomas Jefferson who was full of it in Virginia. Other founding fathers, of course, are the authors or considered conventional founding fathers, the authors of the Federalist Papers, particularly Madison. I wonder whether this cleavage that you you, you touch on, the, the cleavage between working class, uh, uh, Scots-Irish and this aristocracy, whether it's in the Northeast, in New England or in Virginia, whether it manifested itself also in the debate over the Federalist Papers and the whole notion of whether America should have a direct or representative democracy. I'm guessing that 
some of the authors of the MECDEC themselves would have been hostile to the Federalist Papers. Yeah, for sure. And it's an interesting question. And it's, um, I think one of the reasons why the, the MECDEC was successful and why it was sort of the first is that those class distinctions, while there were class distinctions, of course, at the time, right? I mean, the, the only people involved in creating the MECDEC were, were white male landowners. Everybody else was excluded. And as you say, um, some of them were slave owners themselves, with plantations presumably uh, dominated by slavery. Correct. Correct. Um, but the, the, the more stricter uh, class distinctions that were in Virginia, in Philadelphia at the time, had not quite reached the, the Carolina, the American frontier. And I think that's one of the reasons why the MECDEC moved forward is you've got it was written by six Princeton scholars, but the men who really pushed behind it and signed it and said, let's risk our lives to do this. There, they, there were farmers, plantation owners, there were, you know, bartenders. Um, that's what kind of makes, that's what makes the MECDEC really representative of America at that time was it wasn't just the elites, the elite scholars wrote it, but the men who passed it and agreed to back it with their lives it was, a, it was a mix of everybody who was on the frontier at the time. I'm not sure what your own personal politics are, Dave. I, I know what mine are, and I know most of our audience are not great fans of Donald Trump. But is there a, a Trumpian quality, perhaps, in some senses to the Met deck? And perhaps, in an odd way, the cleavage between uh, Make America Great Again and Trump and the East Coast elites, that was manifested in these earlier period that you write about in the book? I'm, I'm not sure about that. You know, the way that I always have thought of Trump and the whole MAGA thing in, involved in this story is, let me describe a president of the United States to you and you tell me who I'm describing, right? Sexual predator, racist, terrible businessman, <laughs> A, hypocr a hypocrite, <laughs> loved to take credit for other people's work, uh, uh, wanted other people to fight in wars, but wouldn't fight himself. Um, I can go on and on, but it's remarkable um, that you're not exactly sure who I'm talking about. Right. right now, we know right? Uh, you're, you're, you're talking about Thomas Jefferson. Did you go to Monticello for this? I bet you uh, you pissed on the floor there if you did. <laughs> no, I absolutely did. And I confronted the, they have a guy who's really amazing. The guy who portrays Jefferson and gives little speeches and, yeah. and Q and A's. And I absolutely confronted him on, on the mech deck um, at the top of Monticello and didn't, I didn't get kicked out, but um, um, I didn't get to the bottom of it, of it either. But um, Monticello is fascinating because that really opens the chapter for me on Jefferson because it's incredible the way the structures that Jefferson built and lived in were, were symbolic of, of, of him as a person. Um, Monticello was built in a way that at certain places you could not see that there were any enslaved people running the entire place. Um, Jefferson was known for a style of architecture called, um, oh gosh, it's, it, uh, uh, concealment architecture. Um, 
And I'm not sure if there's a better metaphor for the man than, than that. Did you always dislike Jefferson or was it just the writing of this book that convinced you that he was America's first arsehole? <laughs> arsehole in chief, shall we call him? Again, stop the presses and we are, that's the new title. That's of this the new book. title. Yeah. Although, you know, on the internet, they have to, I put that for that previous show you looked at, they don't let you print it. So it would oh. be a dot, 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 oh. H-O-L-E. Yeah. But, he, but, but you are, I mean, did you, it's interesting. He, he does bring out strong passions, which I think that's credit to him. I mean, he's not a boring guy. No, no. And here's the other thing, right? He, there, he, he, he did some incredible things, right? Freedom of religion, incredible. Um, the University of Virginia, the Constitution of v Virginia. Um, and there were the, the, his passage about uh, emancipation and uh, the, that got cut out of the declaration. Incredible, soaring, powerful words. Um, I, you know what happened to me was I was disappointed in Jefferson and then angry that I didn't know any of this stuff. And that's where all the energy and passion about getting to the bottom of Thomas Jefferson in this book really came from. I went into it like everybody else thinking, how dare anybody question Thomas Jefferson's character? And if he says he didn't plagiarize the declaration, then we all have to believe that. But my God, has the opinion about Thomas Jefferson's character in the last 20 years, there's been a pendulum, a complete pendulum swing about that. And it made me look into, well, this is a man who enslaved his own children. He's probably capable of plagiarism too. Is there an anti-Jefferson in the book? Uh, I mean, George Washington, for example. I mean, John Adams is, as, as we've said, is, is rather annoying, even if he doesn't like Jefferson. Does anyone come out of this book, any of the, the, the traditional founding fathers, looking better, or are they all sort of uh, corrupted or polluted with the, the stench from Jefferson? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, and I, I, should have, I, I should have done that to balance it a little bit. I was so focused on just layer after layer after layer of terrible stuff that I discovered about Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that there are some, and they deserve credit. Um, you know, a what man about like Washington. Yeah, Washington, a man like Ben Franklin, who right. they evolved, they were capable of evolving their thinking on slavery during their lifetimes. And uh, you know, so they they deserve that credit. Um, because that was something that Thomas Jefferson just refused to do. Well, finally, Dave, I hope uh, this gets to be a much read book. I think it will do. It's written beautifully and it's very entertaining and amusing and controversial. Who is your founding father? One man's epic quest to uncover the first true declaration of independence. If this indeed becomes a, one of the go-to books for kids reading about American history, how, how would you like it to change the way in which children in particular, but perhaps all Americans think or rethink their own history. It's an attempt to make it less pompous, isn't it? It is. And it's, I think the, the, the overriding message is you don't know what you don't know. Don't, and this is healthy for all of us, right? Don't just lock in your brain and say, this is what I know about the revolution. This is what I know about the declaration of independence. Stay open to learning and expanding your knowledge about these things because there is layer after layer after layer 
that we don't know, but that was actually really important for us to know. 